pray for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures, we invite you, come Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your presence among us. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would open my words and fill them with your power. Fill our hearts and our minds that we might be led to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A few years back, my wife Catherine and I were at a missions dinner at another church in the diocese, and we noticed an African bishop sitting by himself at a table, so we made a beeline for him and asked him if we could join him for the meal. We shared a wonderful evening with Bishop Johnson Gakumba of northern Uganda. And in the midst of our, our conversation, we shared with him that we had recently seen a story on 60 Minutes about the Lost Boys of Sudan. Now, if you don't know who the Lost Boys are, uh, during the Sudanese Civil War, many of the children were separated from their families and separated from their villages, and they, they fled, escaping on foot, uh, seeking out refugee camps. Many of these kids walked as many as a 1,000 miles. Well, when we said the Lost Boys, uh, Bishop Johnson just like he lit up and he stood up and he said, those are my boys. And he began to share with us about the fact that so many of these children were in his diocese, in the churches, uh, in the diocese and in the homes of many of the families. And he shared the challenges and the joys of dealing with so many orphaned and traumatized children. Well, a little while later, as we were talking, um, I asked the bishop, you know, what's what's been your experience like here in the States? And he said, oh, it's been a wonderful experience, except the bread aisle. And Catherine and I were like, what? He said, except the bread aisle. And, and you know, there's a strong accent. So what? He said, the bread aisle in the grocery store. And then he began to explain. He said, when I was in the bread aisle, I saw bread of every kind and every type, many shapes and many sizes. I've never seen so much bread. And then, and then his eyes got misty, watery. He said it was just sitting there and nobody was eating it. And I thought about my hungry lost boys. And I became ashamed because I am here and they are there and I am well fed and I know they're hungry tonight. You know, that was a sobering conversation, especially because we were like eating this huge plate of southern barbecue with lots of bread on the side, cornbread, rolls, you know, and looking at the bread going, I don't know if I can eat this stuff. What I realized was that I take the bread aisle for granted. And maybe you do too. See, I've never really been hungry, not, not desperately hungry, for something as simple as bread. I've had a growling stomach, and I hate to admit it, but I've been hangry plenty of times. I was even sent to bed a few times as a child when I was misbehaving without my supper, and that felt like an eternity to me. I've said things like I'm starving, but I've never actually experienced my body cannibalizing itself in a desperate attempt to stay alive. Jesus's world 
was a lot more like Bishop Johnson and the Lost Boys than most of ours. He lived in this culture where where most of the people were just days away from starvation. Extreme lack was just normal. That was like modus operandi, where they knew their emptiness. They knew hunger. They could feel it constantly. People knew their need. And needs are often what drive us to seek out God. This miracle that we heard, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all of the Gospels. It was probably more like 20,000. It says 5,000 men, but then if you add in women and children, it it could have been as many as 20,000 people there. It's the only miracle that's recounted in all four of the Gospels. And as I often say, look, when you see things repeating in the Scripture, you want to pay attention. If you see the same story appearing in the Scripture, like God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to, to, to show us or tell us something. It's like he's taken the highlighter and he's put a highlight on what we're seeing. This miracle speaks a powerful word to the normative condition of most of the world who live in a physical emptiness and a physical hunger. But it also points to the deeper need, the spiritual hunger which exists within people that God is only too willing to meet, and he does so through his son Jesus. It is Jesus' deepest desire to meet the spiritual hunger of the people of the world. So as we look at the text this morning, I want to look at it this feeding of the 5,000 through the lens of discipleship that we talk about at Holy Cross, through the three F's we describe of following and forming and fulfilling, right? Disciples, those who are faithfully going after God, who are seeking to grow in faith. Well, you follow Christ. You allow him to form you along the way. And then you seek to fulfill his mission in the world. That's how we frame discipleship. So let's take a look at John 6 as we walk through this, looking at it with that kind of lens. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Following Jesus always starts with curiosity. To know who is he? What, what is this? What am I seeing? What, what is this Jesus all about? The crowds had seen the signs, the text says, that he was doing on the sick. He was healing people in ways nobody had ever seen. They couldn't even fathom the kinds of things that he was doing. And so they wanted to know who is he? What does this mean? And they followed him out into the wilderness there by the Sea of Galilee. Now, you might be in a similar place. Like you've seen the signs Jesus is doing on the people around you, and you want to know, who is he? What is this all about? Maybe someone you know was sick, and after being prayed for, they got well. And you have no real explanation except for what they told you. God did it, or Jesus healed me. You've seen a sign. So now you're exploring. Maybe you've seen a transformation in someone you know. They were a drunk. They were a liar. They were a cheat. They were a bad girl or a bad guy. 
and they had an encounter with Christ, and now they're different, and you know it's not just some kind of self-help program that they've been on. It's not just about willpower. And that was my story as a young man, broken, lost, uh, just a mess, a party animal, numbing pain, a kind of small-time drug dealer on my college campus. And then I encountered Jesus, and he changed me, and people noticed it. Now, some of them just scoffed and and wanted nothing to do with me or with this God that had changed me. But others were like, wait a minute, if God can do that with him, if he can find forgiveness, if he can have a new kind of life, if he has a new peace within him, then maybe I can too. So if you're following, if you're exploring, if you're trying to figure out who he is, what do you do? Well, you show up. Like today, being here, whether you're in person or whether you're doing it online, that's a start. Start talking to him as though he's real and he hears you. That's prayer. Read the rest of this Gospel of John we're reading from. Pay attention to the things Jesus says and the way he operates with the people who are around him. You could get involved in our Alpha course. It's not that far into Alpha. It's online. And it it may be time to explore. They're happy to have you join in. Um, And I can help you get connected with that. If you're beginning to follow, trying to figure out who he is, that's a great place. Well, if we go back to the text and we observe now the forming part, well, let's look at it. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So there's Jesus and the boys sitting on the hilltop, looking over the sea. And they hear the crowd. It doesn't say that, but you know how it, 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 how it operates. Think about it. 5,000 to 20,000 people are making their way toward them. Like when a crowd is gathered and on the move, there's an energy, there's a noise level that you experience before you ever see it. And so they're sitting there in this crowd of desperate people, of of people in need, start coming toward them. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, hey, Phil. I'm pretty sure that's in the Greek. Hey, Phil, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Now, he's in the process of forming Philip and forming the other disciples. He knows what he's going to do, but the text says it's a test. And it's not like, hey, you know, pass, fail. If you fail, you're out of here. Thank goodness the Lord doesn't work that way with us. Tests are always meant to lead us toward him, to help us see him, to form us along the way. And it's not like you get cut, you're off the team if you miss it. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Because there's a few tests along the way I'm pretty sure I tanked. He's shaping them and he's changing them and he's forming them to know who he is and what he's about. He's he's building a trust in them. And of course, trust has to be built over time in the midst of relationship. He wants them to understand who he is and what he does. And Phil bombs the thing, totally tanks it, right? Because he does what what I have done at times, maybe you have done at times, when you're faced with what seems like an impossible situation. He takes a look at the resources at hand. 
He looks at the size of the problem and he immediately gives an assessment based upon lack, upon what can't possibly be. I mean, just, you know, see him there on the hill with Jesus. The sound's coming, the crowd's in view. Jesus looks to him, asks him the question, and, and Philip breaks out his calculator or maybe his abacus, right? He's building a spreadsheet. He's got out his, his pros and cons list. And what does he do? He comes up empty because he's calculating without Christ. It's impossible, Jesus. There's no food trucks around. That's what he says in verse 7. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So a denarii is like a day's wages. So he's doing the math and he's like, you know, seven months wages wouldn't actually be enough to give everybody a bite. Just wouldn't go. There's no way we can pull this thing off. But he's calculating without Christ. Maybe you've done that too. You think, you know, this marriage, we've been this way a long time, and I'm not sure there's a way back. You you look at the situation in your home, you look at the situation in your office, in your neighborhood, you go, there's no way I could have an effect upon that. The needs are just too big. It's too messy. It's too large. Churches do this all the time, right? They, they look at something that God's putting before them. They go, there's no way we could pull that off. We don't have enough resource. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. Calculating without Christ always leads to coming up empty. Well, back in John 6, that's when Andrew pipes up, right? This is Peter's brother. Hey, Jesus, there's a boy over here and he's got a lunchbox. Verse 9, he has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? So he starts down that road and then he's like, wait a minute, there's no way. Calculating without Christ. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said that this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was included in all four gospels so that we won't forget how much the Lord can do with the very little that we yield to him. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a lot when we yield it to him. Remember, he's forming you along the way. He's shaping your heart. He's shaping your life. He's he's shaping this community. He's shaping us so that we might really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that in believing in his name, we would have life. We would have fullness, fullness. So he puts us in these situations, tests, trials, not to harm you, not to hurt you, to form you, to shape you, to cause trust to develop within you. That's what faith is, kind of at its rock bottom. It's not just getting the facts right about him. That's important. But it's about a lived experience of those facts, which is trust. Well, let's shift a little bit from forming to fulfilling. See, because this is the fun part. I mean, forming is fun too sometimes. But fulfilling is the invitation Jesus gives to you and to me to partner with him in the ministry he's doing in the world. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. 
So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, if you read Matthew's account of this, it's in Matthew 14. Matthew says that after he has taken the loaves and he's uh, blessed them and given thanks and broken them, he then gives them to the disciples and the disciples distribute the loaves to the people. He invites them to participate with him in what he's doing, to cooperate with him to fulfilling his purpose in this group of people gathered. He's inviting them to help fulfill his mission in the world. Now, I say this a lot, but I just, I got to keep saying it till everyone believes me. Like Christianity is not a spectator sport. Yes, there's a time to sit and learn and listen. But as, as John Wimber said, like we all get to play. Like God's not miserly. He doesn't hold out. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing because he knows that we'll find our ultimate fulfillment, our ultimate purpose, not in building a kingdom for ourselves, but in helping him build the father's kingdom. But that always takes a little bit of faith, takes some trust and some willingness to offer Jesus the little that you have. And you might think, I don't have much to offer him. That's okay. He doesn't want you to offer what you don't have. He wants you to offer what you have and then watch him use it for the good of other people. We have to learn to follow his subtle promptings. My experience is generally he doesn't shout. It's more like the gentle whisper. It's, it's the nudge. It's, it's you see something. And, and he is inviting you to learn to see with eyes of faith, to see with eyes in what we would call the spirit realm, to see what God's doing. One of, one of the most um, important books I ever read in the early part of my faith journey was a book called Experiencing God. It's by a man named Henry Blackaby. And the, the whole central thesis of the book, and it's taken right out of the scripture, is that the father is always at work, Jesus said. Jesus said, so I just look to see what he's doing and I join him there. So God's always at work, and ours is to look to see what he's doing and to join him. So powerful in my life to help me recognize, oh, like I was used to just going through life focused on kind of me and what was right in front of me. And as I was growing in sort of this upward posture of availability to the Lord, as he was forming me and inviting me to be a part of what he was doing, he wanted me to see to discern, to know what's happening so that I could join him and be his hands and feet in the world. Jesus wants you to help him meet the needs of people. And sometimes that means we're just, we're called to literally feed them like they did on the hill there at the Sea of Galilee. Meet physical needs. Put clothes on someone's back. Give them a place to stay or a place to live. So let's just let's let's pause for a moment, because the, the worst thing we could do would be to just hear the words of the Bible and not listen for the spirit who speaks through the words of the Bible. So let's let's just give them space for a minute and, and pause. You don't have to close your eyes, but I, but I'm so I get distracted just if you want to close your eyes. You might just ask him, Lord, is there somebody you want me to meet 
the needs of physically. Just give it a moment. And we're going to pick back up together because here's what I want to tell you. Some of you had something pop right into your mind right away. A person, a situation, something that maybe has already been going on. You've been thinking, I wonder if I should help with that. But others of you don't go to that place where you go, I didn't hear anything. So maybe God doesn't want to talk to me. Maybe he didn't. Don't do that. Pay attention over the next few days. You said the prayer. You've given him an invitation to to show you what he might be doing. Now just pay attention in the world around you. Like watch to see what he might put before you over the next few days. He may have a situation. He's inviting you to be a part of meeting the physical needs of somebody in your world. Maybe even the emotional needs. It may be something as simple as send them a card. Call them. Remember phone calls? Give them a call. Go sit outside with them and have a cup of coffee. Something like that. But the message of John 6 is beyond just the physical. And and sometimes I think churches, Christians, people, like only do the physical part. we got to do that. That's where Jesus started. But he moved beyond that to the deeper needs. The emptiness and the hunger of the soul. The soul hunger that's going on. So he starts with lunch by the seashore. But as he continues talking in John 6, he goes to a deeper place. It's not on the text up there, but listen to the words he says. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus wants to supply for the the empty souls the deep hunger of the, of the soul life, our heart's hunger for God. How does he do it? By being crucified. I will give my flesh. By being raised again from the dead. He fed people at lunch, but he moved them past that or to a place of invitation, to the place of salvation, for the place of a deep purpose within their lives. He's come for the salvation of the world, for your salvation and mine. But for that salvation to take hold, you have to appropriate it by faith. You probably have heard that theme of faith running all through this. Just like to eat something and have your body be benefited by it, right? You've got to actually take it in. So also grace works that way. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is what appropriates the grace of God into your life to meet that deep need you have for his salvation. We become dependent upon him. Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Probably most of us aren't asking for literal daily bread. But... We need to be fed daily by his presence. Give us this day, Lord, the presence of your very life, that we might be nurtured by your grace and in faith have all that we need to do what you're calling us to do in this world. 
And of course, he calls us to help others find this bread too. I mean, that's really what Christianity is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread that will satisfy the deepest needs of the soul. And there are probably some people you know around you who are desperately hungry for deeper things, who are in the midst of or maybe hopefully getting to the end of trying to find satisfaction in the things the world says will satisfy and are beginning to come up empty. Well, if you see that, that's a call to pray and offer yourself to the Lord as a potential avenue of grace to them, to helping them get that deep need met. It always starts with a step of yes. Whether you're following or you're in the midst of being formed or you're in the midst of an opportunity to fulfill some part of his will in the world, it begins with yes. Let's take a moment and pray and invite him into whatever place we are and just make it a step of yes. Lord, where we're exploring and, and we've seen you and, and we're investigating, we say yes. And where you're forming us, Lord, whether it's through tests or trials or, or just peaceable times in the midst of other people's chaos, we say yes. And Lord, where there are people that need to be fed or there are people that need to be spiritually fed, we say yes that we might fulfill your purpose in the world, that you might be glorified. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.